Let's take the Word of God together tonight and turn again to the New Testament book of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 15, and we're looking together at this, uh, my favorite of all parables in Scripture, the prodigal son. We've been taking several weeks to look at this parable. There are many sermons in it. And uh, let's read together again Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. Would you look this way? You can go almost anywhere in the world and people know this story of the prodigal son. Let's have a little bit of a survey. How many of you have ever been the prodigal son? Would you raise your hand? Wandering away from God. That's the story. Tonight, if, if you have never, ever come to know Jesus as your Savior, this is a story about you. Tonight, maybe you have wandered away from God. And your heart isn't nearly as warm for the Savior as it used to be. You really can't be bothered. I spoke with a prodigal this afternoon. A young man who said, I just don't really feel like it anymore. And I've been there before. This message is for you as well. Let's look together. Verse 11. And he said, Jesus speaking, he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. And we trust God will bless the reading and hearing of his word. Tonight, if you've never been born again, you are lost. You need to be found. If you've never been born again, you are not just lost, but you're dead in trespasses and sins. And something needs to change. I want you to look at one verse tonight. We'll take our, our sermon from it. 
of course, the surrounding verses, but verse 17 is the turning point in this young man's life. Have you ever had a turning point in your life? Have you ever come to the place in your life when things began to change? That's what we're looking at here. Verse 17, and when he came to himself. Do you know that we naturally, naturally, outside of Christ, we are beside ourselves. We are not ourselves. So tonight, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, you are beside yourself. You're outside of yourself. You are not yourself. You think you are. A life that is alienated from God, a life of sin, watch this, is not normal. Hold on a moment. That's what everybody does. And that's the way everybody lives. Surely that's normal. No, to be normal means you do not deviate from the norm or from the rule or from a principle. And the norm when God created this world. And the norm when God breathed breath into man's nostril, the rule was that man would love God and follow God. We've deviated from that. What is popular today is not normal to how God intended man to be. It is abnormal. We have deviated from God. We have made our own norm, which is anything but normal. We have made our own ever-changing rule. And we are so confused today because the rule and the norm keeps changing that nobody knows anymore what's meant to be normal, what's meant to be expected. And this is why so many people are messed up today. This is why children and young people are so messed up in their minds today because there's an ever-changing norm and an ever-changing rule and nobody knows what's expected of them anymore. People are going mad trying to reform to the latest norm. People are going mad giving in to the deception that sin is the norm. It's interesting when you begin to think about it that the man who is outside of Jesus, the man who is not born again, is really eccentric. That literally means your life is out of center. Would you look here? If you tonight do not know Jesus as your Savior, your life is out of center. I recently had to take a car that I had purchased to the garage and get my wheels, my trucking aligned. They put your car on a big machine and they pull on your tires to make sure everything is centered so that when you're dry, driving, the car doesn't have a tendency to pull to the left or to the right. Would you look here? Without Jesus, your life is pulling to the left or to the right, but it is not centered. You need Christ. Therefore, in your life, there is an inversion of values, meaning your values are all backwards. There's an inversion of the laws of order. 
Everything's upside down. Everything's backwards. Everything's transposed. It's different than what it ought to be. Enemies have taken the place of friends and true friends have become enemies and darkness you call light and light you call darkness and good you think is evil and that which is evil you think is good. Your life is altogether backwards. It's a mess. All because God is not in his rightful place in your life. The prophet Isaiah spoke about this in Isaiah chapter 5. You may remember the portion of scripture. He cried out, woe, several, a series of woes, woe unto them. And in verse number 20, he says, woe unto them that call evil good and that call good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. Woe unto them. We're living in a society that thinks that good is evil. We're living in a society that thinks that biblical Christianity is evil. And if you adhere to it, you will be punished. It's coming to the point in this society that if you believe this book about life and all that is involved with life, there will come a point where you are faced with a crossroads and you'll have to make a decision whether you follow God or society. And in following God, you will be criminalized. And it's not because we are the abnormal ones. It's because man has deviated from God and made its own system. And by the way, that creates an unbalanced thinking and an unbalanced living which is abnormal. And because you're surrounded by it, you think it's normal. Because everybody else around you thinks that way, you think it's normal. And because everybody else says it's okay, then well, it must be okay. When the truth is, it couldn't be further from okay. Can I tell you this evening, I don't mean to be unkind, but if you do not know God through Jesus Christ... You do not even know how to think properly. I don't mean to upset you. You may want to throw your shoe at me here in a second. But if you don't know God, you don't even know how to think. The only way you think is totally subjectively. You only think about yourself. You only think about that which pertains to you. You do not even know how to think properly. And it ought to frighten you to think that you'll walk out of this tent tonight because you don't know the Savior and because God is not in His place in your life, it ought to frighten you to death that you'll walk out of this place not thinking properly, not seeing properly, and therefore totally vulnerable. Totally vulnerable. Now I know that's not exactly flattering, but it's true nonetheless. It's true. Have you ever thought over the last couple of years that it seems like the whole world's gone mad? Have you thought about that? Maybe even this last week, all the changes taking place in London and Parliament and all the changes taking place in the government. Maybe you've thought this last week, what on earth is going on? Nobody seems to be thinking properly. A mind out of tune with God cannot think truly or properly. It can't. It thinks 
only subjectively, only of yourself. If you don't know the Savior, you live only for yourself. You might appear sometimes to live for somebody else or do something nice for somebody else, but it's usually with a motive that you might get something out of it. If you do not know the Savior, you have your own rule, your own standard, which is always changing, by the way. And you have no awareness except that which is finite and visible and natural. That's the only awareness you have. You have totally, you are totally unaware of the world of spiritual things. Totally unaware of those things which cannot be seen. Totally unconscious to the reality of another world and another realm in which you've never looked. A spiritual world. A realm of truth. We live in a society that says there is no such thing as truth. We live in a day and age when people say that truth is subjective. It might be true for you, but it's not for me. And therefore, we can say that two plus two might equal four for you, but it equals three for me and five for him. It's absolute nonsense. It's madness. And although biology used to tell us that there was a male and a female, now you can say, I know that biologically is a male, but no, it's not. And you can be in trouble if you disagree. It's absolute madness. Nobody thinks properly anymore. And if you dare say anything against it, you're a criminal and a bigot. The world has gone mad. It's always been mad since the day it walked away from God. And until you come to yourself like this young man did, until you wake up, you'll never see it. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you may remember the verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of those which believe not. Would you look here? Look here. Tonight, if you've never been born again, you are blind. Your mind is blind. You cannot see properly. You cannot think properly. And you might walk out of here angry with me. You may drive out of here in a cloud of smoke, upset that I had the audacity to say you couldn't think properly. But that's just evidence that you can't think properly. It's evidence that you would reject the conviction of God's spirit, the obvious, obvious madness around you and reject the obvious truth of God's word. I hope tonight you won't go on that way. Now think with me for a moment. Here's a young man who not only was living outside of who he should have been and what he should have been. He should have been at home in his father's house, the heir of a great estate, the inheritor of great riches. That's where he belonged. But instead of that, he chose a different life. And I'm telling you today that as long as you reject Jesus in the gospel message, you are rejecting the inheritance that could be yours through Christ. And the worst part about it is you're choosing a whole heap of rubbish. This young man also lived a dislocated life. Without Jesus Christ, you're out of joint. Without the Savior, your life is out of proper relation. You know what it is to be dislocated? I can remember, I think I was Titus' age, 
on a Christmas morning several years ago. I was excited about opening Christmas presents and I took off down the hallway of our little mobile home. And as I was running carelessly through the hallway, there was the Hoover set there on the left. And I was rounding the bin and my little toe just struck, got snagged on the Hoover. And an excruciating pain and popping sound came from the direction of my little toe. And when I looked down, I nearly fainted. There was my little toe sticking that way. And I thought to myself, what has happened? My heart began to beat fast, faster than it's ever beat before. And I sat down and I pushed it and it kept flopping back that way. And I thought to myself, I'm in serious trouble. My mother's a very gentle soul. She walked over there, grabbed a hold of my toe, yanked it and pulled it. It popped again. And there it was back in its proper place. But prior to that, it was totally out of place. And can I tell you, when you do not know Jesus as your Savior, you're living like that little toe out of place. And it's a painful existence. It's not right. And you feel that something's not right. And you know it's not. Your life isn't what it ought to be. But you just can't see that you've been dislocated. That you aren't where you ought to be. My brother, many of you have heard me speak of him before. He and I played American football together on the same team. He was two years older than I was. And so when I came into high school, I began playing football with him on his team. And I can remember one Friday night he was there. And after a big play under the lights, the play was over. The teams were going to their, their right size for a huddle. And there my brother laid on the ground, rolling in agony. They called for the team doctor who ran out to the field. My brother had dislocated his shoulder. The doctor helped him get up, walked him to the sideline. My brother was in excruciating pain. I noticed his arm wasn't quite hanging properly. And the doctor spoke to him. My brother shouted a few things, argued with the doctor for a while. And finally, the doctor grabbed his arm, twisted, pulled, pop, and his shoulder was back in place. Patted him on the back, and then he went out to play another round. The problem was, another play later, it fell out again. And he had to go through two operations to sort that out. Can I tell you, every once in a while, you come to a meeting like this, and God begins to work in your heart and mind, and it might seem that... You begin to see things in your life, what they ought to be, and you begin to, you might feel that you're getting yourself in line with what it ought to be. But the second you leave a tent or a property like this, sometimes you go right back to living a dislocated life, right back to living a life of sin to which God never intended for you to live. And if you're not careful, you'll live and die that way. Totally out of place. And can I just say it is impossible for you to live and function the way that you should live and you should function if you're living dislocated from God. Do you know why you feel like something's missing in your life? Because God's not there. Do you know why you feel like you've got a lot of pain and you don't know where it's coming from and you can't ever get rid of the heaviness? Do you know why that is? Because you're dislocated from God. That's why. And until you get that right with God, there's only one way to get it right. That's by repenting of your sins, acknowledging, like our brother said a moment ago, acknowledging that you are living in sin until you can admit that and see that and also see that Jesus died for that sin, that he gave his life for you. Until you can come to that realization, you'll always be dislocated and out of joints and your life will always be something other than what it ought to be. It's a painful life, isn't it? 
That doesn't mean your problems go away. We have brothers and sisters here who have a multitude of problems. Your problems don't go away when you become a Christian. The, di- the difference is the Lord is there with you. You have direction in the problems and guidance in the problems. And, and although there might be pain, it's not pain from being dislocated. It's pain from living in the midst of dislocated people. That's what it is. This young man thought he knew better than God. He thought he knew better than his father. I wonder tonight if you're here and you think you know better than God. You may never say it. You may never say, I know better than God. And I think, God, I know you've been around for all of eternity, but I think I know better than you in my short earthly existence. I think I've got a better way. That'd be very foolish, wouldn't it? You may not say that, but by the way that you live, you are saying it. Because you refuse to submit yourself to God. And because you refuse to humble yourself beneath the mighty hand of God. You're saying to him that you got a better way. Just like this young man packed his bags, left the house, left his father, headed out into a far country. He thought it would be better in a different place. Interesting, isn't it? Can you imagine if I told you tonight that I didn't like that my feet faced forward, that I wished instead they faced backwards? Can you imagine if I said, you know what? I don't really like the fact that my two feet are pointing that way it's kind of embarrassing i don't really like feet let's twist them around backwards that would be better you say you're a madman who do you think you are god made us so that our feet point that way and every once in a while you don't like what god tells you and what god what god gives us and the doors that god opens and you think you've got a better way but can i tell you when you begin to adjust the ways that god has put before us you begin to experience a life of pain and suffering destitution A life of misery. A life apart from God. The Bible says that he spent everything that he had in this far country. A famine arose. We looked at it last week. He began to feed the pigs. Live amongst the pigs. And he began to wish he was like a pig. Really, that's how bad it got. Talk about dislocated. By the way, that's going to be the next thing that we have to bow bow the knee to. The next thing that we'll have to do is that if... If Imre decides that he wants to be a cow, we'll all have to say, okay, Imre's a cow, and we'll have to agree to that and say, thank you, Mr. Cow, whatever. Well, honestly, that's going to be next. If we're allowed to decide what we want to be and who we want to be, then that'll be the next thing. The next load of nonsense. And I can't wait for that because I'm going to tell them I want to be the king. And they'll have to, you know, they'll have to respect that. And have to let me take the throne. Can you imagine? They would never dream of that, but yet we have to bow to such nonsense today. We've got to wake up. We must wake up. The Bible says that he did wake up. That gives us hope, doesn't it? It gives us hope that one can wake up from the madness. That you do not have to continue living a life of nonsense a life of sin, a life of dislocation. You don't have to continue. I spoke with a, with a sister today who told me that her life was a mess. And such a mess that she was anorexic. She was, she was suicidal. Her life was a mess. She tried everything imaginable. And finally, in the, host, in the middle of an insane asylum, God woke her up. She came to herself. Like this man in the bottom of a pigsty. God in His mercy... Woke him up. 
The scripture said he came to himself and he said, hold on just a moment. The first time he began to think properly. By the way, when you begin to think properly, it's not always, doesn't always feel good. When you begin to think properly, it's not always a good thing. It is a good thing, but it doesn't always feel good. When you begin to think, hold on a moment, I'm an absolute donkey. I know I'm with pigs, but I'm actually a donkey. You begin to think properly, you begin to see, I've made a lot of stupid decisions. I've made a lot of foolish decisions. Do you know what? Nobody wants to think that. The world would rather deceive itself than admit that it's wrong. The world would rather go on in self-deception than waking up and acknowledging that they are wrong. They'd rather go further and darker and into more depravity than to stop and say, I'm in trouble. But this young man came to himself and he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? Can I ask you this evening, would you look this way? Have you ever come to the point in your life when you acknowledged that you were dying? Perishing with hunger. Oh, I don't mean physically. I don't mean that you were lying in a hospital bed and you realize that you were dying. I mean, did you ever wake up spiritually? Did you ever come to the point when God stirred in your mind and heart and you recognized that you were on the fast track to hell? Down the one-way street to destruction. You ever been there before? That's a good day. That's a good sign. That's the day that his sanity was restored. And that's the day your sanity will be restored. The day when you begin to recognize that you're perishing. It's the day he began to think properly. And by the way, that's the greatest miracle of all miracles. We pray for healing. We pray for those who are, who are controlled by devils to be delivered. We pray. We pray for God to move and work in miraculous ways. But this is the greatest miracle of all. That a man could be awakened spiritually. The greatest miracle of all. And how did, he, how did God do it? How did God wake him up? Well, in this particular case, God used the man's circumstances. Every once, in a, and every once in a while, God will use your circumstances to wake you up. Every once in a while, he'll let you wreck your car. I can remember when, when I was 18, 20 years old, uh, the Lord had saved my soul two years prior, and I had turned my back on God and was going into the world full steam ahead. I was living worse than I had lived even before I was saved and I was living this life and I was on my way to church one Sunday, the one Sunday of the month that I went. And on my way to church, a van came at me from out of his lane into my lane on an icy bridge and I swerved to get out of the way and wrapped my car up the side of the bridge, bounced off the other side and ended up in the ditch somewhere down the road. My car was left in bits and the man in the van kept driving. And I can remember that day, it was as if God turned every light in the house on in my brain. It was as if God sent me a personal email that said, Dear Derek, you're headed in the wrong direction. It was as if God reached down with his almighty hand and gave me a quick, swift slap and woke me up. I needed that. God used that circumstance to wake me up. 
I can remember a few years ago, almost eight years ago, I was living here in this country, had been here for nearly five years, six years nearly ministering, and my own brother, my only sibling, died at 32 years of age. That was another occasion that God used to wake me up. Another occasion that God used to show me life is ticking away. Take every opportunity, waste none. God will use circumstances in your life to wake you up, to bring you to yourself. We're living in a prodigal world. And this young man at that moment proved the emptiness and the fallacy of his own ideas. Can I tell you, you'll never get right with God. You'll never be born again until you acknowledge that your ways are not good. That your ideas are foolish. And the majority of the world is not willing to admit that. Not willing to admit the weakness of our own will. But he did. He did. What are the signs of a returning saint? What are the signs of someone that has been awakened? What are the signs that someone's coming to himself and thus coming home? That first sign is the consciousness of the Father. I love this. We spoke a moment ago about recognizing that you're perishing. That's the first sign, really. But the consciousness of the Father. The Bible says when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's? He began to think about his father and what his father had that he didn't have. See, on that day, he recognized how insufficient he was and how all-sufficient his daddy was. A consciousness of God. Would you look this way? Do you recognize that God has all you need? Do you recognize that God is enough? He's sufficient. What's another sign? Another sign is this. That God is enough. Satisfaction is not found in the pig pen. Satisfaction is not found in a far country. That satisfaction is only found in a right relationship with God. When you begin to understand that, you're headed in the right direction. You might not necessarily be there. He wasn't there yet, but he began to realize it, didn't he? He wasn't home yet, but he began to realize where he was wasn't good. He began to see where he needed to be, and that was the only place he'd find satisfaction. Do you understand that tonight? If so, you're headed in the right direction. What else? There is a determination there to get right with the Father. Now, oftentimes, this is where people go astray. Sometimes they think, sometimes you think you can do it yourself. Sometimes you know you're living in the far country. You need to get right with God. And so like this young man, you say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home. I'm going to tell my father, look, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I know that. I'm aware of that. I'm getting what I deserve. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to become your servant and earn my way back into the family. Wrong. But at least there was a determination to get it right. That's headed in the right direction. But you've got to let that determination to get it right not not cause you to try to live in such a way to earn God's favor, but cause you to pray in such a way to receive it. Otherwise, if you don't let it, if you don't let the determination bring you to your knees and cry out for mercy and plead for grace, if you don't let that determination do that, you'll spend the rest of your life trying to earn your way to God, trying to be good enough to get yourself to God, and you're never going to get it. And that's the last thing, understanding that you can't. 
You know, it took the young man, it took the man all the way into the day that he actually walked into the arms of the father before he realized that he could not earn his way back in. So don't be discouraged. You might be on the long journey to the father's house, still thinking that when you get there, you're going to earn your way in. But when you get into his arms, when you see the father and feel the embrace of God the father, you'll know immediately there's nothing you can earn. It's only something you receive. I wonder tonight, are you coming home? Some of you need to come home. Some of you tonight need to wake up. Maybe God's begun to wake you up. But you haven't made that long journey home yet. Would you come tonight? Would you take one step out of the life of confusion? Out of the life of unclear thinking? Would you take one step? In the direction of the Father. Because the Bible says if you draw nigh to God, He'll draw nigh to you. Will you take one step in His direction? Because if you do, the Bible says He'll run to meet you. Run with open arms. Some of you are just not there yet. And I'm praying that God in His grace and mercy would open your eyes and show you how futile and foolish this world is. Yes. Let's bow our heads together in prayer, would you please? Father, we give thanks that it is possible to be redeemed, to be rescued. It's possible to come home, to have our eyes opened. It's possible, Father, to leave the the life of sin and find ourselves in the Father's house. We pray that tonight one or perhaps many would find themselves leaving the far country and beginning that journey to the Father's house. Help them to see that Christ Jesus died so that they could be brought back to Thee, so that they could be forgiven, redeemed, restored, born again. Help them to see it, Lord. I pray for the one who's wandered away. Perhaps they're ashamed to come home. Help them to see, Lord, that by faith they can come freely, Lord, do a work of restoration, a work of salvation in this place tonight. For we ask it in Jesus Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.